I have a little bit of a dilemma in my life. Um, I don't know if you can identify with it. But my dilemma is simply this, that I find that the longer I walk with Jesus, somehow the further away I get from people who don't know Jesus. When I first became a Christian, my life was surrounded by people who didn't know Jesus. And it was a very, very powerful time in my life when God would use my very broken life, and you think it's bad now, it was 10 times worse than, use my broken life to kind of connect with people in their brokenness, and he would begin to reveal his goodness to to them. You know, and they, they were interesting people. They weren't kind of normal people. Is there such a thing as normal people? Have a look around you. I think we've put that one to bed, haven't we? There's no such a thing as normal people. But, you know, they, they were, some of those people were celebrities. Some of those people were uh, very hedonistic. Some of those people were so outside of what you think would be any kind of individual who would be interested at all in Jesus. And yet, somehow, God connected me with those people. I seemed to attract them. They were attracted to me. And uh, before we knew where we were, in spite of my best efforts to try and avoid talking about Jesus, I couldn't help but tell the story of what Jesus was doing in my life. Because Jesus has radically changed me. I know you don't believe this, but this is true. Jesus has radically changed me. And not just my physicality, he's changed my heart. He has renewed my mind. I remember when I first got saved, and I was talking to Yana today, uh, the other day about this, I would go home to my mother, and she was a great Irish Catholic. Well, not such a great Catholic, but a great Irish Catholic. And um, I would say to her, Mom, you know, I've really enjoyed being at church. She said, keep away from those people. They're brainwashing you. They're after your money, and they're brainwashing you. And, you know, after a few attempts at trying to explain to her that that, you know, wasn't the case, because... To come outside of a Catholic faith and join some other kind of group of people who followed Jesus just seemed so beyond her comprehension. You know, one day I decided I would turn this thing on its head. And so she said it again. They're brainwashing you. I'm telling you, they're brainwashing you. And I said, Mom, that's the best thing ever because my brain needs washing. (laughs) My brain really needs washing. And you know, that's true. That's what God does. He does renew our minds. Doesn't he, church? How many of us look back and think, I never believed I would think the things I think now? There were things I I thought I would never stop thinking, (laughs) and there are things I never thought I'd start thinking. You know, I never thought I'd ever feel comfortable with people like you. (laughs) You know, this would have been the most hostile environment on the planet for me to be in. Because, you know, my brokenness was so evident on the outside, you people like to fix people, and people like me don't want to be fixed. And certainly not by you. So I would never come to a place like this because I would, well, I would stick out like a sore thumb, like a pork chop at a Jewish bar mitzvah. I'd be visible and tangible and evidential to everybody around me. And so I would never come to places like this. But the interesting thing for me is that God, in his great wisdom, had a strategy to win my heart. And two friends of mine, one was a fashion designer, another one an engineer, they had given their hearts to Jesus in various parts of the world. And they came back to the United Kingdom, and they were talking to me about Jesus. You know, I didn't know what was going on. You know, we, we, in my house, we didn't sit around talking about Jesus. We didn't just chat about God and things like that. And if his name was ever mentioned, it wasn't in a positive sense. Do you know what I'm saying? And so they were talking about him. And here's the thing that really struck me. It felt like they knew him. It felt like they were talking from a place of knowledge as opposed to just information or or religious terminology. And I was intrigued by that. I was intrigued by their intimate and clear understanding that God loved them. And they said something to me. And it was the beginning of transformation in so many ways, not just to my mind, to my life, to the way I was heading, the direction I was going in. This is what they said to me. I didn't realize that people say this in church to all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. But listen to the phrase. They said, if you were the only person on the face of this earth, God loved you, Simon, so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that you could have your sins forgiven and come into a relationship with God. Now, from my perspective, that felt like a problem. Let me tell you why. I come from a traveling family, and I understood very quickly what that meant. It simply meant this, that if he had given his life for me, the only decent response I could have to that was to give my life to him. 
Now, I didn't need an alpha course to teach me that. I didn't need huge conversations to get to that point in my thinking. I simply realized that that was the only decent response to a God had laid down his life for me. And so that night, in their front room, with one eye shut and the other one open because I thought I was a celebrity, I thought at least he should say something on the wall or something, I invited Jesus into my heart and into my life. I repented of the way I was living, which was outside of relationship with God, and I came home. And I came home to the God of love. You know, people for years would challenge me because they wanted me to feel guilty. They wanted me to feel shame. In fact, I think it would have appeased their conscience that I had truly got saved if I actually felt like a worm. But the reality for me is the invitation from God by the Holy Spirit was not one to a sense of fear or even to anxiety about my own brokenness. I just, I saw how beautiful God truly is. And I was undone. My whole internal protest just dissolved at the, at the clarity that came across to me that God loved me. Now, that may not seem like a powerful thing. Maybe you're here tonight and you're looking for something a little bit more profound than that. But trust me, I think it sits quite well with who God is. The Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You see, sometimes I think we want it to be his truth or his, you know, his holiness. And all of those things are part of this. But actually, what I found was the most rewarding to connect with God and to keep me connected with God. And I've been walking with Jesus for 34 years now. That's a long time. I never thought I'd make it. Lots of people around me didn't think I'd make past six months. But when you discover the love of God and your heart is changed from the inside out and your protests are melted and you come into this glorious union with a God who actually likes you as well as loves you, the journey begins. And all of the things in my life that everybody was concerned about, the things I kept on doing, somehow out of love they seemed to fade It wasn't even that I was trying to be a better person. I did make those attempts. I used to get up at 5 in the morning to pray. And then by about 10 past 5, I'd be fast asleep on the side of my bed. I fasted for a number of days and found that when I finished fasting, I feasted for far more days than I fasted. And and all of the work that was done in my body was undone. I mean, I would come out of a 40-day fast and I would eat fish and chips. It's not the best combination. But I was trying to take some of that childhood experiences of earning God's love and apply it to the relationship I had with God, and actually none of it worked. But when love, when love invited me into relationship with God, I should have paid attention to that, because that was God's specific and unique way of starting relationship with me. And it's love that has kept me in relationship with God. All of these years, love has had the final word on all of my protests and all of my tantrums and all of my, I'm going to avoid this and get out of here and I don't even like these people. And then suddenly love wins again. It overrides my thinking. And before I know where I am, I'm back connecting with the same people who called me all kinds of things at the door of a church. Love is more than I ever first imagined and far more profound a transforming power than I ever could have recognized. And I say all of that to you tonight, not to tell you my story, but to tell you that the gospel, the good news of God, is actually really good for you. It's good for you. God knows who you are. He knows where you live, your address, your problems, your anxieties, your concerns, your dreams, and your aspirations. And he will specifically and uniquely, and I trust him with this, speak into your world in a language that you understand and cause your heart to come alive to him in a way that's right between you and he. You see, God is brilliant at reaching people. He's absolutely spectacular at doing just that. Come with me to a scripture. We're kind of going to sit around it for a little bit tonight, and I've got some things to share with you that I hope will be of some advantage. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Have you ever heard people mutter? 
Let's have a little practice at that. Very good, John. That was very good. This is what they said under their breath. Didn't mind welcome sinners on east with them. And they were incensed that somebody who claimed to be so holy and righteous could find some kind of reward or indeed some kind of connection with people that were outside of that reality. And I want to pause for a moment and say that I think this is so important for us to see that actually if we're not careful, and the truth is it's happened to me, and this is why I'm camping around this thought at the moment with Lostology, before we know where we are, we become less and less connected to people who don't know the reality of the love of God, and more and more connected with people who already know the reality of the love of God. If we're not careful, we can become very church-centric and not lost-orientated. And it would be true to say that having passed a number of churches, that that does seem to be the trajectory that people go on. When people first become Christians, they're so in love with God, they have all of these people in their lives who don't know God, and more and more in that season of their life, they start to connect people with the reality of the God that they've discovered. And often or not, that's the harvest season of their lives where more people come to Jesus than at any other point in their life. But I don't believe that that's okay. I can understand its logic. I can understand why we get like that because, you know, there's a lot of requests placed upon our lives to be at meetings and to be involved in things, and all of that's good, and to come and to serve. But actually, are we really just called by God to sit in rooms like this, singing songs and worshiping together? Or is there something in God's heart that wants us to connect with the world around us? If we are not careful... We'll build good relationships here at the cost of no relationships out there. If we're not careful, we'll attend everything in this kind of environment and have nothing to do with the meetings that take place in our community. How can the church truly be salt and light if it's not involved in the world? How can we see God move in power in people's stories if we're gathering everybody to this place, or any place for that matter, and just celebrating the fact that we have discovered him. In fact, the truth is, we have not discovered him. He came in search for us. This is love. Not that we love God. Not that we sing our songs and, and, and do great, great, you know, um, praise to God. That, that's brilliant. But it's not as good as this, that God first loved us. And the Bible tells us, that God loved us when we were far away from him. We're no different than the people in this story. When our lives were distant, when we were uninterested, when we had no connection with God whatsoever, God's love for us was consistent. From the foundations of the earth, he knew you. He formed you in your mother's womb, and he loves you. So I feel greatly challenged by this at the moment. I feel my life, for all that it has become, and I, you know, I don't even know how I ended up doing this. I only came out for a loaf of bread. How could it be that the God who saved me in my broken state could allow my life with my permission, indeed my orientation, to become so far removed from people who were like the way I was? And I feel challenged by that. And I want to come back to some kind of place of connectivity with people around me that don't necessarily come to an environment like this. I would say with great confidence that actually that's probably the best place for us to be. You see, I don't mind being criticized that I connect with people who perhaps don't fit what we think Christians look like. In fact, the truth is, for most of my life, I've not attracted the, the brilliant or the noble. But I know that because of my own story, there is something in other people who are broken and other people who have questions that feel drawn to me and I feel drawn to them. In fact, if you put me in a room at a party, I will end up talking with people who are quite broken. Now, I can ignore that, or I can actually celebrate that and realize that my story in many ways is something that God has formed and fashioned in me for the benefit of those around me. 
Or I can just think that this is my story and look what God has done for me and not realize that I'm a walking, living testimony of a God who cares about people like you and me. My life is a story that's been rewritten by God with the hope that I would engage with others so that he can rewrite their story. And I have some understanding of who he is through my little experience of him that may be of benefit to some people around me. And wouldn't it be like God to set us up with people that would connect with us in a natural realm so that his supernatural desire, which is to reach people in all kinds of categories of life, would come to pass? If God was strategic in using people to reach me, then he might be strategic in using me to reach people. And I need to be conscious of that. When I'm conscious of that, I start to model what Jesus is modeling here. I start to reflect the kind of orientation that's always seeking as opposed to needing to be sought. And there are two types of people I find in the church. And um, they are the here I am Christians, people looking to be discovered. And then there's another group of people, and sometimes they find an easy fit with this kind of environment, and they're what I call treasure hunters. They go around looking at people's lives, and they say, there you are. Now, which was Jesus? We certainly see that Jesus was not trying to draw attention to himself. He was the great I am, but he wasn't being the big I am. He was humble and contrite of heart, and he came into every environment he came into to serve the purposes of God and extend the kingdom of God by reaching the people that were around him. And sometimes they were fancy and noble and educated, and sometimes they were just broken and ordinary and desperate. And he didn't seem to have categories of people that he connected with. He just had an orientation to be a treasure hunter in places where people believed there would only be trash. Jesus sought out in the woman at the well her truest, most godly desire and even her greatest godly design. And he said to her, what you have been searching for in all the wrong places, God is about to give you. You will receive rivers of living water that will never run dry. The woman caught in adultery, he gave her an amnesty from the cycle of her life and said, go now and sin no more. There are no one here who has the right to accuse you, and I who am your rabbi or I'm the Christ will not accuse you either. Go forth now and sin no more. In other words, this encounter with me changes everything about you from here on in. But I struggle to keep myself connected with those who don't know Jesus. My life is filled with programs and meetings and all kinds of things. And in many ways, I feel really challenged by this because I believe there is some part of my life and nature that may be of some benefit to people who don't ordinarily connect with places like this. And so I've started doing some strange things. And they're stranger here than they are anywhere else in my life. I smile at people in restaurants. Now, you know in London that that's a clear sign that you have some kind of mental illness, isn't it? So sometimes if, I'm, sometimes if I'm sitting in a restaurant, I sometimes go to Itsu, I meet some people and I'll have a coffee. I find myself just scanning the room, just asking the Holy Spirit, God, where, where are you at work? Where would you like me to connect? And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting there having a cup of coffee just before one of the meetings. And there was this young man sitting there and I could clearly see that he was flustered. And it, I don't know if you've ever been to that restaurant, but it's one of those, I hate these communal tables. I mean, I just want to be isolated on my own, if I'm honest, if I'm honest. So I'm sitting, and he can't avoid looking at my face, and I can't avoid looking at What well, we do, we go on the phone. You know, that's how we do it these days. Let's avoid. I, I don't know what's so interesting, but when you get into a restaurant and you're on your own, your phone is your lifeline to the world around you, isn't it? Have you noticed that? So he's, he's texting somebody. I'm texting somebody. And at one point, you know, I just thought, this is ridiculous. I put my phone down. And I said, God, you know, I've been praying that you would connect me with people who, who you want me to be able to express to them your love and your compassion and your goodness. And uh, before I know where I was, he had dropped his phone and it landed at my feet. I picked it up. I handed it back to him. And he said, thank you. And I could hear pretty instantly he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't from London. He had come from outside of London. And so I started, you know, and I'm Irish, so I am nosy. 
you know, if you do leave me looking after your house when we're on holiday, I will look through all of the drawers and read all of the paperwork. I'm just letting you know, I'm nosy. I'm naturally nosy. I'm curious. And, and, and so I'm asking, you know, where are you from? And, you know, that's a crazy question in London. Nobody's from London, are they, really? <laughs> where are you from? And he was telling me a little bit about his life. He, he came from Poland, and he, he was sharing some of it. I said, how are you finding London? He said, well, I've only been here a few months. I said, oh, I've only been here a few months. He said, nobody talks to you. <laughs> Talking to you. And then when I told him I was Irish, he went, oh, that makes sense now. Because <laughs> he, re he realized that Irish people can't help themselves. They have to connect with people around them. And so we started talking. He told me he was a professional musician, and he was here training some people in, in some kind of school somewhere. And he was just grabbing a quick cup of coffee before he went to his next client. And, you know, there wasn't fireworks, and I didn't have a prophetic word over his life, and I didn't see him as a child in his mother's arms. But, you know, I connected, and I felt really good about connecting. I felt that's a good thing. You know, of all the things I did that day, it felt to me like the most holistic and the most natural, and, and maybe can I be so bold as to say the most supernatural. I don't know if you're like me, but could it be true of your life that somehow you who were outside got inside and now need to be helped by the Spirit to get back outside? You see, if, if we want the city to know about Jesus, we're going to have to learn how to be lostologists. We're going to have to be the kind of people that shift into a mindset where we're looking and we're engaging with the people around us. You know, I've been in London five months now. Nobody looks you in the face. And if they do, they usually are people in need of help. And as I've told you, I attract those type of people. So they think me looking in their face is an invitation for them to come into my face. I have to navigate that a little bit. But, you know, we can't live in this city and stand in this room together declaring that God is good and he cares about people without connecting those people somehow with some part of our lives that gives them access to a God who really does and has turned up in your flesh, in your flesh, to greet them and welcome them into the family of God. And it's not complicated, but it does feel clumsy. Why is it good for me? Why is it good for you to have a conscious seeking awareness in environments that we find ourselves in? Well, the first thing is this. It makes me conscious of God's heart for humanity. Now, do you ever forget that? Because I'm guilty of that. God actually loves this world. Hello. He's not tolerating it. He's not enduring it. He's not putting up with it. God loves the world. He loves people. I mean, you may not. <laughs> you may struggle as I do. But God loves people, and he does not love particular people. He loves all people, every nation, tribe, and tongue. He loves the ones who have got it together and the ones who have fallen apart. Isn't that good news for some of us here tonight? He loves the ones who know where they're going and the ones who have lost their way. He loves the ones who have been broken and damaged, and he loves the ones who have so crafted themselves into some form of excellence that people in the world are celebrating and rejoicing over their lives. God is indiscriminate in his love for people. He's no respecter of labels or titles or even family lines or even any environment that we happen to be in or not be in. He loves the people in the nightclubs as much as he loves the people in the church. Now, if we don't believe that, then we're going to have an us and them mentality. We're going to have a saved and unsaved mentality. We're going to have sanctified and not sanctified. I refuse to have that divide in my thinking. There are just people I'm encountering who don't know just yet that Christ Jesus has died for them. And the only reason I'm sanctified is because he has sanctified me. I am the benefactor of the goodness of God. Just give me no right to point a finger at anybody else and say they're doing this or they're not doing that. What I need to pay attention to is what God is doing in me. 
You see, and all of this, all of this kind of orientation to being a seeker comes out of what you believe to be true about God. What you believe about God is simply the most important thing in your life. And it's not the songs you sing, it's what you actually believe. If you believe that God is kind, then you will seek to be kind. If you believe that God is judgmental, you will become judgmental. If you believe that God doesn't like people who are sinners, then you will start to dislike people who are sinners. What you believe about God is simply the most important thing. As for me in my house, I have made up my mind. I believe that God loves everyone. Indiscriminately, unreservedly, Christ Jesus died for all humanity. Now, will all humanity come to God? Probably not. And there's enough evidence to prove that that's the case. But to anyone, anyone who welcomes him when he knocks on the door of their heart, he will open up their lives and he will come in and have fellowship with them. God is indiscriminate in his love for people. So it's good for me to be a seeker in the same way that God is a seeker because I'll start to connect with people in a way that reflects God. The second thing is this. It grounds my faith. It earths my faith. Do you know, it's easy to have faith in here when we're singing these big anthems. Christ in me, the hope of glory in my heart, and you walk across the threshold and life hits you in the face. We can sing about God being the great I am and the love of God which transforms human lives, and we can walk out that door and not replicate that truth to the people around us. So when I am a seeker in my orientation, looking for treasure sometimes in people's hearts and lives where you wouldn't think from the outside there would be gold, not only do I find the gold, but I see God. And when I see God in broken humanity, my faith just begins to grow. And here's how it grows. Because I know that God, if he opens my eyes to see something in another individual, has an appointment for me with that individual. Some of the greatest miracles I've seen have happened outside the church. Some of the greatest prophecies I've experienced have happened outside of the church, minding my own business, and then suddenly I get caught up in God's business. And before I know where I am, I'm having a conversation with someone, and we end up talking, and God shows me something about them because he's the God who cares indiscriminately and unreservedly about anyone who would connect with him. And he's using even the likes of me to share a message of hope with somebody who's in a desperate state. But if I'm not a seeker, I won't see God in that way. And I won't see the fingerprints of God on other people's lives. Because somehow I've recognized this. God is already working in people that I am connecting with. The third thing that happens to me is I become aware, far more aware of God's mercy and grace. Do you know that God is so merciful? God is so merciful, church. His mercy triumphs over any judgment that I would seek to bring to anyone else. His mercy invades the human soul and transforms people's understanding of the nature and the character of God. His mercy is powerful. It's transformative and it is informative because it reveals to us who God truly is. God is a God of mercy. But if I'm not a seeker, I will think mercy is just about me. I will think grace is just about me. And I am the benefactor of God's kindness. That is absolutely true. But if I truly understood how powerful that grace is and how enriched that mercy is to my soul, I would be gossiping that truth to everybody I encounter. I can't keep the antidote to the brokenness of humanity to myself. It's like having the answer to cancer and bottle it up and not sharing it with anyone. Do you know when mercy invades a family, it transforms that family. When mercy invades a human life, it just absolutely transforms that person's life beyond anything that any program or institution could do. God will do through mercy. And if I'm a seeker, I will start to see his mercy more. I'll start to see his grace more. Another thing that happens to me is I am energized in Seeing God working in and through my life in that way, and it causes me to want deeper intimacy and connectivity with God himself. I find that my worship 
goes to a whole other level whenever I'm connecting with people who don't necessarily come to a place like this. Why? Because I can see God's hand on people's lives. In some of the churches that I've pastored over the years, we had a little tendency to start our gatherings by celebration. And what we would do is we would gather the stories of what God was doing through people's lives and we would bring them on a Sunday together. And actually, it's quite biblical. Come with a spiritual psalm or song or a blessing for somebody else. And we would share those stories, share those testimonies. Do you know God is up to so much and we don't pay attention to it? Do you know God is moving all the time in people's lives and we're not even looking in the right direction? We're not even orientated to the places that he's at work in. God might be working when you're sitting in a restaurant in someone's life who's sitting across a table from you. He might have orchestrated that connection for his kingdom purposes. Give me eyes to see God. Give me a heart that is open to that. Give me a life, Lord Jesus, that draws me to people more and more. When I'm a seeker, I become more compassionate. If I am not seeking, I become self-righteous. Stay with me, please. Just pay attention to me. Okay? Whenever I am connecting with people who are outside of the family of God just now, I find that my heart just grows with love for people. You know, one of the things that will need to happen if we're ever going to see the fullness of the kingdom of God come to pass is that we need, we really need to be visited by compassion. We need the compassion of God. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus saw the people, they were like a sheep without shepherd, and he was moved with compassion. There's something about compassion that, that activates us into interaction with people, that gives us a confidence that we become so courageous, we start to move in ways that ordinarily we wouldn't. When I'm a seeker, I'm more alive to the reality and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've, I've noticed some things I do, and perhaps you can identify with them too. You know, I feel very challenged by this, and, and please stay with me. Don't worry about that lady, she'll be fine. I feel challenged by this because let me explain what I'm saying. Sometimes I feel that I'm trying to sell the church to people. So I say things like this, why don't you come along to this? Or you'd love that, we do that. Or we have mercy ministries in the church. Or, or you never believe what God is doing in the men's ministry. And it's just incredible what God is doing. Actually, you know, we're not meant to peddle the church. What we're meant to hand away to people is the reality of Jesus. And we have to be ever so careful that we're not leaving a calling card that isn't the real calling card. Because I find more and more in this hour, people are a little repelled by the church. But when you actually move away some of that stuff and you talk to them about the reality of Jesus in your life, people are highly engaged with the reality of Jesus. You see, God has placed something in humanity that's been given to them to draw people to the reality of Christ. So this set of parables here is Jesus addressing a problem that exists with people who are connected to God. And it's a problem that I can identify with. And maybe you can too. How could we start out with such clarity about God's passion and his heart for the lost and somehow arrive at a point where that is not as real to us as it could or even should be? But if we allow ourselves to be drawn into the center of what God is doing in the church, we must also be prepared to be catalysted out. Because as we've moved closer to the center of what God is doing in a local church, and this is a good local church, actually the reality of that is that we are being equipped not just to sing better or to serve better in the church, but we are being equipped by God as his secret agents of mass destruction to go out into the highways and the byways and connect with people who would never cross the doorstep of somewhere like this. Some of our greatest exploits will be outside the building. Some of the greatest moves of the Spirit will happen outside on the streets. Hello, church. 
And we keep praying, God, move. Move in power. Move in us, God. Move upon us. But I actually am convinced that God will begin to move through us. When we start to move towards the lost, we're coming into partnership with the nature of God who is lost-centric. He came to seek and to search out that which is lost. So I want to finish with a couple of things that I've noticed about lost people. Is that okay? Are you okay with this? The first thing I want to say to you is this. Don't think that everybody who's lost is miserable. And please don't think that everybody who's found is happy. I think sometimes we underestimate the fact that some non-Christians are having fun. Now why is that important? Because we talk to them like they're not. We speak to them in a manner that they're not having a life that actually is worth anything at all. And that's not true. Some people are having a great life. Not everybody is as miserable as you or me. Now, they may be outside of Jesus, and they may be not connected to the reality of the love of God, but actually they're, they're having a good life. And you know, when I became a Christian, I didn't think I had a terrible life. I mean, when people called me a sinner, I even questioned that. I wasn't quite sure if I agreed with that. Obviously, I've been in church a long time. I know I'm a sinner now. I've been educated to believe I am a sinner. But actually, at the time, I wasn't that convinced. And I had an argument with them and say, I don't think I am a sinner. What I meant by that is I don't murder people. Okay? Be patient with people who are outside of the family of God. Their lives might be better than you think they are. And if you're coming with this gospel that says you're really unhappy and you need Jesus, they might not be that unhappy and therefore they won't say yes to Jesus. And here's what I've learned with some people like that. You've got to wait for the season to change for them. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 it says, to everything there is a season and a time for everything under the sun. You know, sometimes being a seeker or a searcher means I have to wait for the right time to be able to engage with people. It's very difficult when people are in party mode to say that they might have a lack in their life. But whenever everything goes wrong or the gas bill turns up and they can't pay it, it may be my opportunity not to say, I told you so, but to say, I also know how that feels. Because as much as we try and make our lives good, sometimes in spite of all of our efforts, some bad things happen to some good people. So if you're truly wanting to be a seeker, you have to be patient. You know, everlasting to everlasting is the love of the Lord. How long is he waiting on you to come home? How many opportunities did you have along life's journey? How many people did he set you up? How many circumstances played their part in God, bringing you to a place where you said yes to him. God is not impatient about reaching into the lives of those who are lost, and neither should we be. You know, it took circumstances in my life because I was exceptionally disciplined and exceptionally ambitious and exceptionally self-reliant. It took circumstances into my life where my life just for not my own fault even, had fallen apart and I just didn't know what to do or where to go. And here's what I did. I went to the church that I grew up in and I would sit at the back of that church because it was the only place on the planet that I felt some kind of peace. Was God drumming his fingers in heaven saying, Simon, hurry up? Or did he know the end before the beginning? And at some point, somehow, in spite of my self-willed, ambitious nature, I would come to a point where I had a need in my life that I could not resolve. I look back across that and I realize that there is nothing wasted in my life, for all things have worked together in my life for the good of those who love the Lord. And thankfully, that was the outcome. I fell in love with God because he first loved me. We must be patient with people. The second thing I want to say to you is people don't get lost on purpose. You know, sometimes I think when Christians are talking to people outside the family, they think that they've willfully got lost. It's 
Sometimes in spite of our best efforts to try and stay on track, we end up over here when we thought we were going there. Are people outside the kingdom any different than you or I when that is concerned? Nobody wakes up at six and believes they're going to end up as a prostitute. There's nobody's dream at the age of 11 that they'll be a bankrupt person. Nobody gets married thinking, you know, I'll, I'll get rid of her one day. I think sometimes when we're communicating with people, we tend to have that kind of thought. That this is a willful act of disobedience and they've just been rebellious and they're outside of the goodness of God. I don't think I've met very many people who have lived with that kind of clarity. Or even that kind of intentionality because, you know, although all of us have a plan for our lives, sometimes life has a plan for us. When you're sitting at the bed side of somebody who's committed suicide and they had dreams that God would do great things in their lives and they came from a family even that had accomplished great things and somehow in some way during the course of their life they've not managed to make the millions that they presumed that they would and the only possible way to get out of that sense of shame or brokenness or inadequacy is to end it for everybody. And if I had a pound for every story I've heard about people who started out well but didn't end up where they planned they would end up, I would be a wealthy man today. Nobody intends to get lost. We must never assume that people wanted to make a mess of their life. Nobody makes a choice or a decision in a vacuum. There are circumstances, situations, conditions, and climates around their life that make those decisions look like the right ones to make. Third thing, let me remind you of this, that we are all a little bit prone to being lost. In Romans 3 verse 23, it says this, all have sinned. We've all gone astray. We've all fallen short. So when I'm talking to people whose journey has ended up in a place they never anticipated they would ever be, I remind myself that I was one of those such people. Out of partnership and connection with God, I did what was right in my own eyes. The third thing I want to say to you is it's really easy to get lost. It's really easy to get lost. Do you know, sometimes during the course of my childhood and growing up, Some things happen to you, and you do your best to navigate them. I'm a fairly strong individual. Don't let the soft Irish voice fool you. But I got lost. Let me tell you where I got lost. I got lost in believing that other people had a better life than me. You ever got lost in that? No, I was raised in a caravan. And four of us used to share a bedroom, four children. I mean, nowadays, if you haven't got your own ensuite at the age of three, your mother and father have failed you. <laughs> three boys in one bed and my sister in another. You wouldn't be allowed to do it now. People would have all kinds of questions over that. But, you know, I would get on a bus every morning, and I'd go 14 miles on this. It was called the Connelly Cronk, this bus. It came from Connelly and went to a town called Port Talbot in South Wales. So we'd, we'd wait at the bus stop, all of the caravan people. And for the 35-minute journey, we would be beaten up all the way to school. It was a relief when the bus pulled up outside the school. And, you know, don't feel sorry for us. We were worse than the people that were beating us up. You know, we could give better than we got, to be true. But actually, <clears throat> I would sit on that bus... And I would look at, in the winter, I would look at these houses, these rows of houses, and these people had sofas. You know, when you're brought up in a caravan, you don't have a sofa, you have the beds. You know, and they, they had lamps. I thought only posh people had lamps. Has anybody got any lamps here? 
Imagine be so wealthy you don't have to put the main light on. And I would dream of a day where I would have a house. I mean, these weren't even particularly nice houses. We're not talking here. Do you ever look in the windows of people around here and think, if only? Come on. And I got lost. I got lost in believing that I would be a better person if I had a better address. I got lost in believing that wealth was security. I got so lost in the journey of trying to accumulate things that I lost my truest identity. Do you know one of the greatest things about my family is that we didn't have much, but we had love. You can have all of the world and not have that. You can live in the poshest of house and be the most lonely person on this planet. It's easy to get lost. Sometimes we get into relationships and we just get lost. We lose ourselves. Trying to be what we think the other person wants us to be. Sometimes we get lost in church. We come to church and we think if we comply to all of the rules and what people think is valuable. But you know, what does it profit the, the, a man or a woman if you comply to every rule in this planet but you lose your truest identity and self? It's really easy to get lost. All of us have in some way, shape or form been lost. Two more things. People can be lost and not know they're lost. Have you ever been with a man in a car? <laughs> you ever driven with, ladies, have you ever driven with a man in a car? What is it about men who can't ask for directions? Do you know, I have a friend and he even argues with the sat navigation system. <laughs> you know, he sets it all up, makes sure it's all in place, and then he argues with it all the way through the journey. He knows better than the woman who sounds like Joanna Lumley. And you know, as a bystander in that, I find that amusing because, you know, every man knows that every time a woman speaks, it should be obeyed. I always have the last word in every argument in our house. It's, yes, dear. You know, sometimes I've been with people in their car and they've driven around the same street 15 times. And when you try and say to them, didn't we see that post box already? See that bright orange house? I mean, there's not many of them in the world. Is this not the eighth or ninth time that we've been past that? No, we've never been this way before. Sometimes when we're talking to people, we think that they know that they're lost. We, we presume that they know that they're lost. But listen to this scripture. I think it tells it better than I could. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you want to be a seeker-orientated lostologist, You've got to come to terms with the fact that some of the people you're connecting with don't have any idea that they have a problem whatsoever. Final thing. You can't force people to admit that they're lost. You know, sometimes when I, I've tried to witness to people in the past, I think this is the goal. You know, if we could just get them to admit they have a problem. You know, I will go witch hunting for all kinds of problems to get them to admit they have a problem. Because I think if we can just get them to the place where they admit there's a problem, okay, then you can actually come up with an answer or maybe a solution. But you know, I've learned something over the years. I can persuade people they might have a problem. I may even try to convince people that they might have a problem. But none of that, none of that changes people's lives. Here's what changes people's lives. When the Spirit of God convicts people that they have a problem. It's when God convicts people that they have a problem that we have a promise. We have a promise that where there's conviction of sin, there could well be also salvation for individuals. So I'm going to close, if I could, by asking Jana to come up. You don't mind? Come on up here for me. This is Jana. She got baptized today. I'm sorry to 
<laughs> What's happening? You're going to sing. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not singing. After you've brought a prophetic dance. Is that okay? No. no. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Jana. You know, I'm here yakking on about God seeking people and, and how we could orientate ourselves a bit more and be, you know, kind of lost, orientated to those who are in need around us. Tell us a little bit about your story. You, you and I connected a few months ago. You came mm. here for the first time. How did you get here? Where are you from? So I'm originally from Slovakia, yeah. um, and I've been here for seven years in um, UK. Um, and so I um, work for um, Hilton. So I look after. Don't worry, there's no free rooms. Yeah, there's no, free no, no, rooms. no, no, no. <laughs> Maybe some cheeky upgrades. But yeah, uh, yeah so I um, kind of look after Kensington Temple yeah. when you need some bedrooms or meeting spaces and that kind of stuff. So that's how you connected with the church? Correct. Who, 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 so I came to your um, office just to say right. hello and to kind of find out what you do, guys. And. Yeah. Um, I've spoken to Beverly, yeah. um, who's part of your ministry, yeah. um, and she said, oh, why don't you come to the church and see yourself? Because um, I was asking, oh, so, you know, can you tell me a bit more about you? And so I did. I came, I think it was November, October, something yeah, like that last year. Yeah. And so, when, uh, so when you came to us, I mean, obviously, it's a big thing, isn't it, to come it was. to this kind of environment. It was, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. I used to go to Catholic churches, which was very, very different to this. What were some of the differences, Jana? What did you notice was different? It was very like following some things which you had to follow, like some kind of rules. Yeah. I almost felt like kind of like ticking out the boxes when I was going to, to the you know, services and stuff. And there was no relationship there. And that's what I was looking for, right? You know, one of the things that struck me when I first came to a church like this was how happy the people were. Yeah, absolutely. So I was like, oh, wow. You're Are you happy? full of joy. And Are you happy? I'm just checking. Yeah. And I was like, obviously, it, it captured me and I was questioning it. And I was like, how come? that they, They're so happy and they're, you know, full of, as I said, joy. And, you know, they're worshipping and, uh, you know, they talk about God like they do know him. Like, you know. I've been going to churches, but I never had that before. So, so uh, what was it about that that attracted you? Because I know that you started kind of inquiring and tried to find out some information. You even got a Bible, I think, didn't I you? I did, and started yeah, to, quite a few. <laughs> to read that. What, what was it about what you thought was happening here that drew you a bit closer to Jesus? It was the relationship yeah. with Jesus. It was, you know, that you are in his presence and he's in your presence. Mm. And... I always knew that God is good, and I was looking for that God, you know, the God who loves you no matter what, um, and um, who obviously forgives your sin, and he does not, you know, um, put a fear in you, or he doesn't blame you, he doesn't, um, you know, um, yeah, he is just... So his love. Yeah, his something. love, exactly. Yeah, I, I, and I could feel it from, obviously, people yeah. who knew him. Well... Just a quick question. It's a bit tricky. Forgive me. How about? I do know this is happening. I know, yeah. How about that? That same beautiful sense of that personal relationship with God affecting the city on a wild, a wide basis. Do you think that would be quite remarkable? Of course, yeah, absolutely. And you know, when I've discovered what I was looking for, I just wanted to share it with everyone because I feel like, you know. <laughs> Because, you know, people around you are so, as you said, you know, miserable, unhappy, and, and they try to find these things in, you know, they go and buy the things, as I used to, you know, they try to find it in different people, you know, and, and they just kind of move from one place to another, not realizing that this isn't the way. Mm. And so when your eyes get open and you, you get that truth, you just want to share it with everyone, right? Because you found it, so you want your people who you care about to know it as well. So your life has really changed. I remember we it chatted. Has. Yeah, we chatted. Obviously, we come from similar backgrounds in, in Catholicism, mm. and we chatted one night. And I think I kind of provoked you a little bit by saying, you know, it, it's good to kind of be around this, and it's good to experience the love you're feeling off other people. But would you not like to experience that for yourself? And you I, did say that. I did say yeah. something like that, didn't I? Yeah. And I think you, you responded by saying, I think about it. I think I did. Yeah, yeah. I remember. 
Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that night? I do. It but was here. It was Wednesday. It was a Wednesday and, night, and so yeah. I, I went home that night, and I—you don't know this—and no, I, I don't. yeah, I was praying with my wife Jane, and I said, "I've met this young lady tonight. I think she's very close mm. to offering her life to Jesus Christ." And we just agreed that night that that what was happening in you, what I sensed was happening to you, would actually come to a point where you would experience the love that I have for many years really just valued and appreciated. And I think it was very quick after that, wasn't it? Mm. It wasn't just us praying. There were loads of people praying for you. It was very, I think by the Sunday, you kind of had invited Made Jesus into your life. Made a decision. And I was like, well, you know what? I found what I was looking for. Yeah. I'm going to make my decision and I'm going to, you know, commit my life to Christ. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. And, and, do you know what? Don't clap. We haven't got time. <laughs> do, you, do, you know what, do, do you know what was remarkable about that? is that really you didn't kind of come through the normal programs, did you? No, I didn't. It was no. a connection with Beverly. You saw Correct. something in her life. You came along here. Yeah. And, and before you know where you are, we're caught up in the love story of Jesus. And what was really funny, she was not trying to, as you said, sell me anything. Yeah. It was more about come and have a look yourself. You know, I invite you and it's up to you, right? Um, and that's what kind of captured me. And I was like, well, fine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go and see. And so you invited Christ into your life. I did. Has yeah. your life changed much since that's happened? It has, a lot. Now, yeah. I know you and I chatted this week, didn't we, about, what was that last week? I get them mixed up. Yeah, this week. About some of the, the complexities in, in your life currently. Has it been easy following no, Jesus? No, it hasn't. But I thought at the beginning that it will be. And I was like, oh, this is going to be really, you know, easy journey. And, you know, he's going to be here to help me and so on. But it's not always like that because you obviously have enemies um, as well. And you need to be aware of them. And if you're not, and you want to understand what is happening along the way. Um, and there was a time when I was very close to kind of, you know, giving up because I didn't know what's happening. And there were things happening which I, I was not thinking they will. Um, but then again, I've spoken to Beverly, and she has explained that, you know, this is it, right? And I, you know, she has told me at the beginning that there will be some, you know, bumps. Uh, but with, with Jesus, you will overcome them if you have a trust and belief in him. Um, and I used to worry a lot, and I don't anymore, because um, why would I, you know? If I know that, um, you know, I can rely on him, then I don't need to worry, I'm sure, like me, you look back and you think about that journey and how, how strategic mm, God has was. been in connecting you with him. The right person, the mm. right time, the right words, the right manner, the right approach. Does that not kind of mess with your head a little bit? That all this time throughout the course of your life that maybe it was leading to this one moment where the God who loves you and created you had set things up. Of course he so has. So that he yeah, could connect with you. And there were circumstances which I had to go through in order to get where I am now. Mm. Um, but, you know, God understands that everyone has got different pace, different timing, and God's timing is different as well. So um, he's a gentleman. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So there may be some people tonight who kind of find themselves where you found yourself. A, a few months ago, with lots of questions, maybe some um, uncertainties about how to move forward with that, and maybe that just sense in their hearts that maybe there is something about this, mm. something about Christ that could be good for me to move a little bit closer towards. What would you say to them tonight? If there was anyone here tonight who happened to be in a similar place on the journey in their life that you had been? To be open to it, um, to pray, to ask someone to pray with you, um, and to talk about it. Don't keep it for yourself. You've got enough support. You've got enough people around who will be um, happy to be on that journey with you um, because it is a journey and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but um, it is worth it. If, if I was to kind of uh, ask you to give one thing about God that you've discovered that 
has changed everything, what would that one thing be? Definitely the fact that he loves you no matter what. Um, and I struggled to accept it at the beginning um, because of my um, Catholic background as well. Um, but once I accepted it, um, it changed it all for me. And it was kind of um, linked with the judgment as well um, towards the other peoples and that kind of stuff. Because if you understand that no matter what, God is unconditionally loves you, that's it. Simple as that. You have to accept it. Thank you, Jana. Let's thank Jana. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And so my goal isn't just to tell our stories, but to invite us to think again about what it would look like for our lives to become a little bit more lost-centric, to be drawn towards those places and those people that perhaps for a season or a time we have not necessarily connected with family members, parts of our community, some people that were part of our past that somehow we needed to walk away from may now become part of our present. And more importantly, they may become part of God's kingdom and his future. And my goal isn't just to rile us up about reaching the lost. Our goal is, my goal is to shift our thinking and our culture towards a lost-centric orientation that in every conversation you're having on the tube or at work or in a cafe or in a restaurant, you are, like Jesus is, seeking out those that need to be connected to God, knowing full well that you're just you, but you've got an extraordinary God who, given the opportunity to utilize your life, could affect someone in such a profound way, just like Yana, and they could be here or somewhere else, worshiping Jesus and going back out into their community to do something wonderful for Jesus too.